are we on? Are we? We are on. Well, cool. How are you? I'm all right. Tired? I'm fucking tired, man. Why is that? It's Monday morning. It's Monday That's morning. Right. Which is like the bad day to do a podcast. It's isn't it? the Monday mornings of Monday mornings for musicians. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst day possible. Real people get up on Monday mornings and go to work and stuff. I can't think of anything worse. I know. It's bullshit. How many gigs you had this week? Not too bad. Only four. Wasn't too bad. I can. That's a that's a light weekend. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's just a weekend, really, not a week. Did you have like twelve? No. <laughs> uh, other half. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Two Saturday, two Sunday. I don't fucking know. Did like a couple. Se- we did a couple this week. week. Together. Yeah, we did. I just, just remember that. Uh, me too. <laughs> I remembered it. We did last something. night. Yeah, yeah. In uh, the absence of Graham, who wasn't there. Uh, it was cool having another singer instead of just sax the whole time but Graham was still a miss obviously well I mean I miss him and I don't hang around I just miss him in general yeah he's just a cool cat yeah he's a good lad Um, and then I played bass I played bass for your band I enjoyed that man Thanks I enjoyed it as well man really it was cool crack. apart from the electric drum kit obviously well I mean you've tried to convince Andy and I'm I get one I'm going to have to convince him I might have to just buy him a drum kit <laughs> nice Um. So yeah, Monday morning, man. Anyway. What have we got on today? What's happening? Got, uh, Chase Williams on today. Chase. 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 Williams the third. That he sounds like a... Chase is like a American that superhero. Is, for anybody that is listening, by the way, hello, that's the dog moving around. Uh, I'm not getting tugged off under the table by Dave. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. Tugged off. That's, I like that. Yeah. Uh, Chase Williams. Uh, multi-instrumentalist. Great singer, great musician. Um, has a huge Mumford and Sons tribute band. Goes up and down the country. Mm-hmm. Makes plenty of money. Gets plenty of gigs. Does really well. Um, and does a lot of voiceover work also. Mm. For um, projects that I'm not really sure about. So it'll be nice to ask him and find out how he got into it and stuff like that. You might have been in Toy Story. We don't know. Maybe Tom Hanks is coming. Maybe he's not. Um, so yeah. Uh, he's a good friend of mine we did some stuff together as well he recorded with me a while back and we play football together every Monday night mm-hmm. so oh he's like a cat isn't he I've seen him play in net he's yeah he's a really good goalkeeper yeah, yeah. man uh, Short he reflexes. is like a cat and he likes cats and he has cats has he? yeah cats so yeah let's uh, get to it How's your uh, weekend been? Um, a game of two halves, to be honest. How come? Um, Football metaphor. <clears throat> yeah, we did a um, we did a club in Hemsworth on Friday, right. which was um, fully self-contained. Obviously, all of our PA lighting, all that sort of stuff, um, and uh, a sort of ticket ticket sales gig. Um, so that was pretty interesting long time since I've done a club I was going to say you don't do clubs normally no um, but uh, this uh, the lady who who runs it trying to do something a bit different and get some like different bands in and, and stuff that's maybe not quite so the usual club stuff mm-hmm. um, so we did that um, to a fairly smallish audience um, and then on the Saturday we did a um, a big festival in Devon is that the um, one that you posted on 
Instagram. Yeah, looked, yeah. Looked fucking class. Yeah. We, uh, so Razorlight were headlining. Um, and, uh, yeah, just obviously totally different. Um, brilliant tech team. Absolutely amazing. Um, got looked after, fed, watered, all right. that sort of stuff. So, yeah, just literally kind of the two ends of the scale, really. Do you, um, is there a part of you that prefers doing your own <clears throat> sound, even though it's harder? Because you know it's going to be right. You know what's going to happen. No. You just always prefer having yeah. text. Um, <clears throat> not, te- not text, I mean like a, like a, like an in-house peer as opposed to your peer. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of, it depends on the venue really. But I mean, you have, you have good days and bad days when, you, when you've got tech gigs. I would say probably 90% of our gigs are tech. Um, and you do get the odd ropey one where people are a little bit inexperienced or, um, you know, all the, all the, the, the PA they've put in is a bit underpowered or whatever else. But, um, it's by and large, it's pretty, um, it's, it's just so much easier for me yeah. as a musician because I can just concentrate on what I need to do yeah. instead of having to worry about other things. We do have a, um, we do have a full time tech who, who, who works with us. Um, but uh, he's more of a general tech, so um, you know he can look after mixes and he can do lighting and things like that. But he's obviously a bit stretched if he's if he's doing both. Um, he's more of a more of a stage manager really than a tech. And is he in the van with you for every gig? Yeah. So he's gig. literally employed to be just a tech for you and just like look after. What, like tune-ups and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so, you know, when we get there, he'll go um, sort all the stuff out with the with the, the, the tech team, sound engineers, all that sort of stuff. Um, he'll sort of, you know, supervise the loading, all that kind of thing, make sure things are in the right place. He's running around checking that everybody's got what they need, DI's power, all that sort of thing. Drinks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, putting the water out and all that sort of stuff. Just water, obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you start the Mumford thing? How did that come about? So, um, 2015, I had a, um, well, between 2012 and 2015, I had, uh, my own band doing, doing clubs around the Northeast, New Yorkshire. Um, and really I just wanted to get out of that scene cause I felt that it was, um, it was declining, um, partly because of attitudes um, from from venues and things like that, and what they wanted to do with the venues going forward, or more to, more to the point, what they didn't want to do with the venues in order to change them and get them, um, you know, looking forward rather than nostalgically backwards, um, and also to do with agents and the amount of stranglehold that they had um, over things like fees and and stuff like that. I mean, you know, most people will tell you who've been involved in the club scene that um, bands are now going out for sometimes half of what they were in the middle of the nineties. Mm, so, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it makes being a, it makes being a band as a business um, an impossibility. Um, the direction of travel was not positive. So I thought, right, I need to get out of this. So um, I started searching around for, for different ways that, that you could, that you could be a, a, band as a business and um i think it's difficult when you've been in when you've been in one environment for so long you become very blinkered um to the fact that this is the only way that i can do this um it's the only market it's the only industry um unless you make a massive painful step up and um i think sometimes it's good just to look outside of your own circle so 
obviously with social media these days, that's really easy to do that. So started looking around, seeing well, how do other bands do it? And obviously you settle on the tribute thing and you're thinking, God, there's a lot of these tribute gigs around that, that mm. seem pretty, uh, pretty good. Um, maybe this is a, a, a positive or a negative in my psyche and my way of thinking. I don't know, but, um, I didn't want to copy anybody else. I didn't want to do the same as anybody else. I didn't want to be another Killers tribute or um, another Coldplay tribute or whatever. Um, so um, I ended up signing up to a management company who helped me do a bit of bit of thinking about it and all that kind of thing. And um, I came up with this Mumford & Sons idea um, really because we did a, a showcase where we did a general set of 15 minutes and the song that was most well-received was I Will Wait by Mumford mm-hmm. & Sons. It was a good vibe in the room, all that sort of stuff, got good feedback from it. So we thought we'd put something together that was had a Mumford vibe about it, um, which we did. And over the course of the first couple of years, well, maybe it's not even that, probably 18 months of, of gigging that, um, there were so many people coming up to us and saying, why do you play all those other Mumford style songs? Why don't you just stick with the Mumford and Sons? Um, so it was more that the market kind of told us that mm. there might be a bit of a gap there and, and something that people want to have. So we developed a, a full Mumford tribute and within um, six months to a year, that was just the more popular option for people to book. So, so, were you, just so how long ago was this? How long ago was it that you were doing Mumford <clears> style stuff? So that would have been 2015, 2016. Um, so you were way ahead of the curve of this horrific trend that's happening now. Yes, the Mumford style wedding band bands, bands yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Doing like yeah. fucking no diggity, but as yeah. Mumford, whatever the fuck that is, man. Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased that we, um, so you were, that we you were way ahead of that. We were in and exited by the yeah. time yeah. that happened. Um, but you guys are specifically just Mumford. I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we're just a tribute. It does cause a little bit of confusion sometimes because you'll get bookers ringing up and saying, oh, could you do one set of Mumford and one set of party music? Yeah. And, um, and do you say we're, no? We're, yeah, I do, yeah. We're, we're, at, we're very lucky to be at the point at the moment where we can actually kind of say that we're, we're suited to particular venues and we're suited to particular, uh, and we're, we do particular material. And um, if if that's not your thing, then that's absolutely fine. Go and book someone else. Yeah. Um, and we, we're, we're quite happy with that. How, that, how often? Sorry, how often is the band out? I would say it averages out. We do probably um, fifty gigs a year. Um, right. Pre-COVID, it was a bit higher. Um, I'd say we're probably before COVID, we were probably doing more like seventy to eighty. Um, but um, COVID, obviously, the last year or two, it's really difficult to analyse it because everything just absolutely smashed to smithereens. Obviously, because of all of that. Um, but um, yeah, I, you know, 50 is kind of sustainable for us. Um, we're kind of having to regrow post-COVID mm-hmm. um, and that's taken a little bit of time. But, you know, if we can get it back up to the kind of 70, 80 mark, then that's that's that, that, that's, that's very, very nice. That's healthy yeah. for yeah, us. Yeah. Um, 50 is sustainable. It's okay. Is that, you just mentioned there a minute ago, you were saying about... Um, Say if a venue wants to book you and says, "Let's can you do half another set?" Does it feel mm. good for you to be in the position where you can say, "Well, no, nah, this is what we do." And does that do you get a sense of satisfaction from that? Just like that, you can refuse things that aren't right for you. Um, I don't know if it's a sense of satisfaction because I think that would imply almost a sort of sense of um, superiority. Um, I, I think it's, it's probably more a sense of relief. 
Yeah. You know those, everybody's done them, every musician does them. And, and to be honest, you know, we still do the odd one here and there where, where it hasn't quite worked out right or, you know, kind of maybe the ticket sales are a bit low or, um, you know, actually what you thought was going to happen isn't, hasn't quite happened. And you drive away afterwards kind of going, oh, yeah. I feel like I've just done that for the money. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's what I was of, getting at, you know. Yeah, you know, that sort of, um, <clears throat> Yeah, that, that that feeling of, I'm so pleased it's over. I didn't enjoy a minute of that. And yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I'm trying to think, well, at least I got paid. But as a musician, you've got this, this sort of, this sort of passion link between you and what you do. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that's kind of, you know, when, when you can't, when you can't indulge that passionate side, yeah. you, you just drive away thinking, oh, I just feel. It's work, isn't it? It's yeah, work. yeah. I, I feel a bit dirty. Yeah. I feel a bit yeah. like I've kind of just done that and taken their money, and and I didn't really give them give them the best that they could have done. Yeah, you yeah. Just, so as long as you come away feeling the gigs where you come away feeling dirty. Yeah, yeah. It's um. So you you just yeah. It 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 it's a sense of relief to be able to have a bit more of a control over your own. Mm. It's not exactly destiny, is it? But it's you know oh, yeah. just just the control over that. Being able to kind of do the gigs that you that you really want to do and yeah. the ones that really fit with you, um, it, it, it is. It's it is, it is nice. Yeah. It's nice, um, and I guess yeah, there is a sense of satisfaction, but only in the sense that you've 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 worked hard enough to the point where you do have a selling point and an identity and something that that and that selling point and identity is marketable enough through whatever work you've done on your promo and, and pulling the band together and being a good product yeah. that you can, you can actually say to people, look, actually we, we don't think we would fit in this situation. Yeah. Um, and the night, the nice thing for me is that I can often, I can often recommend somebody else, Yeah, yeah. which means, you know, then that I'm, I'm, I'm then sort of pushing something somebody else's way, um, which is good for them. Because everybody's different and has different things that they're good at and different things that they, different venues that they would be suitable for. Um, weddings are a good example for us. Um, we do very, very few weddings, mainly because we tend to turn them down. Mm. Um, because they're just, we're just not suited to it at all. Um, with the setup that we've got and things like that. But, you know, there are our Mumford style wedding bands that I'm, I'm quite happy to recommend and say, listen, bring this guy. They're really good, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that gives you a nice feeling to be able to push work other people's way. Oh, that's cool, man. That's good. Yeah. I've got two questions about the Mumford thing. Mm. Uh, one, like, how much of a Mumford fan were you before this, you, you started doing that? And how much did you have to get to become a Mumford fan, obviously? Mm-hmm. And do you, what music do you miss playing? Because, I, I know you don't do any other other gigs, mm. like solo gigs or mm. playing in any other bands and stuff. Do you not miss playing other genres and other styles of music and stuff? Um, <clears throat> the first question, um, I was a Mumford fan in terms of the hits and in terms of the style of music. Um, my background when I was a kid, um, my the only kind of official guitar lessons, if you like, that I got were folk guitar lessons. Oh, right. So it, it's very much, for me, it was very much um, that music is kind of from my childhood and from my roots. Um, my dad's record collection was full of that sort of singer-songwriter, Simon and Garfunkel, um, John Denver, um, Clifford T. Ward, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Mumford thing was kind of a nice little, I, I enjoyed their music beforehand. 
Um, I had to delve a lot deeper when I put the band together because obviously if you need two hours worth of mm. a band's material, um, you've, you've got to delve very deeply into all of their back catalogue and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so that was something that I had to do. I wasn't a super fan in the sense that I had all their albums on the shelves yeah. and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but I certainly enjoyed what they did. Um, and, and the genre they created as well. Um, cause there was a lot of bands spin off in that yeah, era, yeah. wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Um, in terms of the second question, um, we're, we're really lucky with the Mumford stuff because they, if, if you listen to the progression of the four albums that they've released, um, people remember Mumford and Sons as the double bass banjo, um, Liam Gallagher saying they look like Amish people, you know, dressed up in their boots <laughs> and their farmyard gear and all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's what people remember them as because that yeah. was their, that was their breakthrough era and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the third album, they went completely electric. It's, um, you know, if you listen to it, it sounds like a kind of, um, it's very Kings of Leon, um, quite sort of a rocky album, got quite a rocky edge. And their fourth album they did with a guy called Paul Epworth, who's a dance music producer. Um, so Delta, the fourth album, which they toured in 2019 is all kind of, there's loads of layers to it. It's very clever. The banjo, they use the banjo in it. But it's so processed and, and, and cut up and, and squashed and, and, you know, so mm. much processing on it that you wouldn't know it was a banjo mm. unless you really thought about, I wonder how they did that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really varied genre just with that band. Yeah. I suppose a bit, you could compare it a bit like Queen, you know, if you listen to early Queen, you know, things like Fat Bottom Girls and things like that. Yeah. Sounds nothing like, Innuendo or Lady, yeah. or um, Radio Gaga or anything like that. So they've they've been on a, a similar sort of of journey where where they're so different. So when we play the stuff live, there's loads of interest, mm. which again, you know, I really appreciate I'm, that I'm lucky in that sense that we we've picked somebody who has that much variation. Um, I think if if I missed anything, <clears throat> I think it would probably be just that feeling of of being able to be with a bunch of musicians who maybe you don't play with that regularly or um, a bunch of musicians who um, who you know but don't necessarily work with and you can kind of, it's a bit of that sort of open mic night type yeah. thing, do you know yeah. what I mean? Where you kind of, you don't know what's coming next, you're on the edge of your seat a little bit. Yeah. Because um, what we do is obviously it, it's very rehearsed um, and we go into very fine detail about how things are done. Mumford and Sons have 12 musicians on stage. We have five. Wow, 12. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to replicate what they do. We've got to think about it a lot and spend a lot of time yeah. just working on arrangements and parts and things like that. Um, but sometimes it's nice. I've been a few of, of Rolfie's open mic nights and things like that, you know, where you can kind of just, and you play a different instrument, you know, like yeah. I'm a guitarist by trade. I play a bit of bass, but, you know, I've played bass a few times and, you played keys for me as well when, on that oh, project did, yeah. we had. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that must have been like... That was lovely. That just, was a really I wasn't, nice wasn't going to say that must have been nice because that would have sounded yeah. awful. But what I meant was that must have been like a nice change or break from yeah. the norm for you as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I loved having you, obviously. Yeah. It was really, really nice way on you. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm a real... I've, I've got loads of passion for BVs as well. I just think... I, th- I think the difference between a really good band mm. and a great band 
it's BVs. Yeah. Well, as the harmonies must be lush in what you're doing. Oh, have to be in what you're doing. Yeah. As soon as you put the BVs into something, it's like this has just gone up another level. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you walk into any venue, a pub, a club, a, a music venue, a, a festival, an arena, whatever, if 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 the BVs are on, if you've got a band that's singing BVs, even if it's just two part harmony or something, you just go, yeah, you know, these are all five of you on like back walls. Four, four, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, four along the front. Um, we we have had it in the past where we've had a fifth backing vocal. Um, just depends on whether or not the drummer that we're working with is is capable. Or yeah, not. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the moment, at the moment, we're on four. Um, and that you know, to be honest. There's only four harmonies, yeah. really obvious yeah, yeah. harmonies in a chord anyway. So, um, so usually they'd be doubling up anyway. But yeah, no, the, the BVs are massive for me. I, I, is, I love BVs. Is that what you work on probably the hardest out of everything? Um, I wouldn't say we work on it the hardest, but we do it, we do do it separately. We do yeah. it as a separate thing. So we'll, if we're in a, in a rehearsal room, we'll work on all the instrumentation, the parts, um, you know, work all that stuff out. We get that right. And then, um, we actually have BV's days where we just sit, um, we sit on a sofa with a, with a pot nice. of coffee and a load of cake yeah. and just, uh, sit and just go through, yeah. go through the BV's, yeah. um, do it as a separate entity altogether. Cause once you put your instruments down and leave them and you're not thinking about that, you can concentrate on, on what you need to be doing for your BV's. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, do a couple of rehearsals and put it all together afterwards. If you weren't doing a, uh, like a, a Mumford one, what would be like your second choice to do? <laughs> We've been talking about this actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was there a second one on the pipeline? Is there? Is there a... Um, I think just in terms of the, um, not, not for selling it. Yeah. Not for like how, I mean, for you, the one you would want to yeah, do, I would wanna not do. for like making money or whether it'll sell or whatever. Who would oh, you, okay. you know what I mean? Um, it would have to, it would have to be matchbox 20 for me. Really? Yeah. American band. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love them. I've always loved them. Rob Thomas and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just absolutely love them. Um, and you'd be the singer? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, possibly not, actually. No, possibly That's not. What I mean, if it's your yeah. dream tribute and you're doing whatever it is, what would you What would you want to do? Um, you don't have to look like them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'd... Yeah, probably go for Matchbox 20 and possi- I'd possibly be... Possibly just play guitar, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would, yeah. I'd love to be in a band when I'm... You are in a band. Well, in a boat. Yeah. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd love to be in a band where I'm not singing. Yeah. Like, I'm so over it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, we, I played bass for Dave's band on Saturday night. You enjoy yeah. that? I loved it, man. Yeah. It was it was cool. Apart from, you know. <laughs> right. So Dave's band, Dave's trio has have an electric drum kit. Oh, right. And he, he can't stand fucking it. drove us mad, like... As yeah. a bass player, especially, I, I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a. I'm mad. in your corner on this I, one. I'm in I, your corner on this one. Off. I, I don't use an amp. I use a digital pedal for you know amp modeling and stuff. Yeah, and the kid's a nice it. player as well. He that's a problem. He's yeah. a nice, nice. You can tell he's a nice drummer. Yeah. And for anybody listening, you can still come and see my trio. Don't. Yeah, like great. Sounds all right. Sounds great. The great band. They are a great band, right? Dave Mint, obviously. The drummer was cool. It just for me, I have both in ears in all the time. Still sounds good. Right. To hear the drums, <laughs> I forgot what the point was. Now I'm just shitting on your band. No, you me? were saying you were enjoying that you didn't sing for a night. Yeah, I so like, I, oh, I fucking loved it, man. Just standing playing bass. Yeah, oh, I tried to get you to sing. I was like, go on, do a, do a couple of tunes, and you're like, ah. it's your you, band, you still man. did like two or three. It's your band. I just like, but that's, what I was saying was like, you spent so long being a singer and all that sort of shit. Like, it's me just standing back and playing guitar or playing bass. 
I think as well. I think as a singer, you've got that responsibility for the connection to the audience. Yeah, you've, you've got, got to it. You've got to talk to them. Right. You've got to. You've got to involve them. You've got to. And and so sometimes to be able to just just stand back and just oh, concentrate on just playing your instrument and just just sitting yeah. in the pocket and all it's that sort of stuff. It's yeah. actually a really nice feeling. I'd, yeah, I you play it differently as well, man. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bass player, singer. You two play guitar and sing, and like you could, yeah, you can do them both at the same time. Do them both really well at the same time. But you play differently when you're not singing. Yeah. You sing differently when you're not playing. Like it, yeah. it is, mm. it, it is di- it's so different. Mm. Uh, even when you're not trying to be different, it, you definitely play differently. Like, yeah. I played bass differently on Saturday night than I did on Saturday afternoon when I had a sponge diver gig. Yeah. Because I was singing, I just think it's, yeah, it's a strange thing. Well, that's it. I mean, I've played bass with Simon a couple of times recently mm. and that's completely different. I mean, I've enjoyed just exactly. not having to like... Turn it on? Yeah. That's literally it. Not going to turn on, just standing and yeah, you fucking do the work. I'm gonna... And can I say something controversial? Go on. Can I? Yeah, but we want it. It's yeah, yeah, being yeah, recorded. Yeah, yeah. Am I allowed? Am I being recorded? Yeah, I'm being recorded. Right, okay, so this is going to go down. Right, okay. So don't blame me if you get loads of hate. Well, that's what we're like. Well, you said <laughs> it, Chase, so that's all right. <laughs> being a singer and just a singer is piss easy. Oh, I tell you. Yeah, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of shit. Yeah, I, I did a um, years ago. I did a, a theatre tour with tour with uh, D Dowling. I think probably loads of people know him because they've used like ginger music for rehearsals yeah, and yeah. things like D. Top lad, love him, absolutely love him. Um, great player. And I did this theatre tour with him, and um, he said, "I just want you to sing. Don't need. I've got all the musicians. Just need you to sing. You're the male vocalist. We've got a girl vocalist. We're going to do like a rock uh, theatre show." Um, and I absolutely loved the freedom of just being. Mm. the singer in that in that particular context um and the beauty of being a singer is that you can put whatever you need to learn you can put it on in the car and you can learn what you need to learn whereas if you're a instrumentalist you have to sit down with your instrument and learn it with the instrument with you you know you can't you can't have it on in the background and be learning yeah. that guitar lick or whatever else you can look you can listen to it and get it in your head but then you need to transfer it onto the instrument and that that takes time yeah whereas as a singer you can you can stick your earbuds in and kind of you can just you can learn your stuff anywhere you want oh so you're saying it's a so, good thing then no i'm, I'm saying i'm saying that, how easy it is i'm saying it's much easier than being a singer musician yeah. or a musician i couldn't do it like i couldn't just stand there and sing Mm. I would feel like a I, I feel negative without a guitar like I, you know mm. it's horrible yeah even start, if I play harmonica for bands now even standing and play, holding a, a microphone and a harmonica in my hands like that feels horrible yeah because I'm not hiding behind a guitar or a bass it's yeah I, I, I just I couldn't do it I was quite lucky I was this was in my kind of um, my hair rock stage of, of my career um where i was playing in a lot of uh, rock bands and stuff so it was obviously all about the did you have the, the, the showmanship oh, i had the hair oh. leather yeah, pants i had the hair oh. leather yeah. pants please you had you pants. had you had to pour me into my leather oh, pants yes. before <laughs> before the gig um yes and uh yeah i'd all the you know the typical Steven tyler thing all the scarves on the mic stands and all that sort of thing he's chucked mic stand up in the air and all that sort oh, of thing man, I love it. um yeah. and uh there was there was one night I I jumped on the the, the drummer for this this tour insisted on having a, like a three foot high riser, um, well hair metal yeah you know yeah, yeah it was what it was, um, and uh, there was this one particular night I can't remember where it was and uh, 
I decided in the middle of a, of a Bon Jovi song that I'd jump off this three-foot drum riser and I ripped my, the crotch of my leather pants oh, nice. from, from pretty much the belt line to halfway down my thigh. So basically, the whole thing just flapped open <laughs> at, at the front and it was just as I jumped off the riser to go back to the mic to sing the next, the next line of the pre-chorus or whatever it was. And I remember there was these two ladies in the front row absolutely pissing themselves. <laughs> now, luckily, I had some like kind of like scarves and stuff on my mic stand. Yeah. So I just stood really, really close to my mic stand, like <laughs> trying to like pull the scarves like kind of over the front, over the front of me. And then uh, I think I had like half a song's break or something while the girl vocalist did something. I had to run off and kind of shout at the, the tech guys, come on, bring me a roll of gaffer tape. And they literally gaffer taped me up, like kind of all the way up my thigh and all the rest of it to just keep, keep my dignity for the rest of the gig. But, awesome. uh, yeah, so I suppose being a singer, just being a singer all the time, isn't necessarily a good thing. But uh, yeah. although if you had, if you would have had a guitar, then you could have just slung it oh, down yeah. low. Well, uh, yeah, there you go. You yeah. see, yeah, yeah. 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 We well, had a New Year's Eve gig once with the uh, Sponge Divers, and because I'm a prick, uh, no, I am. Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack made the mistake of showing us the crotch of his jeans that had a, a little hole in. Oh. And you could see in his eyes the instant regret because I just put me hand, obviously I put my hand there and ripped the whole pair of jeans off him. And he's like, why did you do that one? What, what did you think I was going to do? Just go, nice hole. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't say that to anybody. <laughs> and he had to do the rest of the like, gig with, yeah. What, 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 what was it? A skirt, basically. It wasn't a pair of jeans. <laughs> no gaffer tape. He's always got gaffer tape in the back of his van. He never tells us why. Um, but he didn't uh, he's, he's had, a serial had killer about his band since that incident yeah <laughs> no he had it before then as well um, so I uh, I want to talk about the voiceover work that you do because mm. I think it's really interesting and I don't understand how it works um, how did you get into doing voice is it voice what do you call it is it voiceover work or voice acting or what um, it's voiceover stuff that I do um, really I've done a little bit of voice acting, different voices and kind of, you know, accents and things like that. But um, that's just been kind of for a bit of fun, really. Um, I actually, for those older listeners who can remember it, um, there used to be an ad mag in the Northeast. Well, there was two, actually. There was a green ad the mag yellow one. and then there was a yellow ad yeah, mag. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Um, and uh, it must have been sort of 2007-ish, 2008, maybe. Um, they were still around at that point, and uh, I applied for this advert to to read audiobooks. Um, like, I can't remember what it was at the time, but it was an hourly rate, um, and, you know, it was quite canny. And I thought, Ali, at the time I was in other people's bands working on a weekend as, just as a jobbing guitarist, musician. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, that's something that I could do during the week. Um, I was doing a bit of teaching at the time, and if I'm honest with you, I just can't, I can't get away with the teaching thing. Yeah. Um, I find it find it quite quite dull. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, this could replace the teaching element of what I'm doing, and it's a bit of recording, you know, something a bit interesting. Um, anyway, it turned out it was a company who were making GCSE revision guides for kids to listen to on their iPods mm-hmm. on the on the bus and things like that. So the idea was that this company were going to provide the schools with a bank of iPods that would go in the library, just like a, a book and the mm-hmm. kids, and they would be preloaded up with these GCSE revision guides. And the kids would go in and say, oh, I, you know, I'd like a maths one. And they could borrow that and take it home over the weekend, listen to it on the bus, you know, all that kind of thing. And obviously as the iPod technology 
developed, they started getting LED screens in them so they could do little animations. So if it was a maths thing, they're doing an equation or something, they could do the little equations moving around on the screen. Mm. And nowadays, obviously, it's all on iPhone, so they have full animations to go with them. Um, and I, I, I still do those now um, on the odd occasion. They, but at the time, they were actually building all of these these audio pods up. Yeah. Um, so I got quite a lot of work out of that. Um, and it was um, through that, I met a couple of people who were producers and sound engineers. And um, one of the producers of, of this um, audio um, revision guide, he went on to build his own studio. Um, he then started a media company. Um, and through him, ended up getting more work through his with his corporate clients because mm. he his corporate clients were saying, do you know any voiceovers that would be suitable for this advert or suitable for this corporate video or whatever? Um, so it was, it was really organic how that happened. I didn't really even push it. I just yeah. applied for this advert, yeah. you know, kind of 15 years ago, applied for this advert to do audiobooks, And since then, just knowing people in that field and in that area of the, of the media world, if you yeah. like, I've yeah. ended up getting you have, Is it something you had to learn to do? Like, when, do you think you, <clears throat> do you think like singing or playing an instrument when you first started, you were probably shite. I was, you know what I mean? Like what singing and that you mean? Well, everything, man, when you first start yeah, yeah, doing it, you're not yeah. good at it. Are you? Do you think if you listen back to like some of the voiceover stuff that you did when you first started, you think it'd be different to what it, it would be now? Um, I think obviously with voiceover stuff, it's, it's reading. I've always been a good reader. I'm lucky that, that I've, I'm, I'm a very good reader. Um, so <clears throat> it was really just, it's just how you, I, I think I was lucky when I started because I wasn't having to do anything. It wasn't like a sensationalist advert for a carpet company or anything yeah. like that. Oh, okay, yeah. kind of, you know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't was, over the top. No, it wasn't over the top. I could just, I could just talk and just read what I needed to read. Um, in the beginning, I used to print the scripts off. There were four hour sessions for these um, revision guides. So I used to print the scripts off. Um, must have cut down several rainforests doing it. Um, so you print the scripts off and I used to go through with highlighters and, 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 and a pen beforehand and kind of mark all the inflections and how I was going to do things and on longer sentences where I would breathe and all that sort of stuff. Um, so my prep time was a lot higher for it. Whereas as I've gone on, mm-hmm. I don't need as much prep time. You could give me a script now for something and I would be able to give you two reads and probably nail it within two reads. Um, it, it's one of the things that, that's, um, that people have said gets me quite a lot of work is that I'm quite quick. Yeah. And obviously yeah. in that, in that environment, it's all about studio time and time is money and people want to get it done and on to the next project or, you know, get value for the time that they're in, in the studio. Um, so the speed at which I can do it, but with the accuracy is something that, that has done me well, apparently. Yeah. If you sort of develop like a, <clears throat> like a cadence or like a way you, you know, you present the, present the scripts, like have you got a, a style, would you say? Um, I, I have a style um, that's based around my my voice, um, but I, I I do have to tweak it for certain things. You'll always get a um, what's the word? Uh, you know, a description of how they want mm, yeah. the voice to sound. So, you know, it's like that thing on Netflix. You know, on Netflix, where it gives you three words of what that particular series yeah. is. You know, yeah. and, and so it's the same sort of thing. They give you certain words. Um, <clears throat> and also with me being northern or slightly northern, um, 
they'll say things like whether they want um, your vowel sounds might change depending on what how they want it delivered Um, and I can change that Um, so yeah it's kind of you are you do have a voice but you you have to move within you know you have to be able to move parameters if you like I mean I would say just from talking to you now that you're quite uh, well spoken just in general yeah like your actual natural speaking voice yeah yeah whereas me and Rolfie here probably sound uh, just <laughs> horrendous. Sounds so regional and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so so of where we're from. But your accent must help. Like it must, it must help not because I'm. <laughs> Nobody's giving you you and me voiceover. Exactly. Like, I, <laughs> my my voice is deep, but I, my accent and the way I speak is atrocious. Yeah. Mumble, speak too quickly, all that shit. What was that? What was that? I didn't That's, catch that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but having that. Uh, it's not it's obviously not a BBC accent but it's you know that, that old, having a, a, a much more relatable yeah. accent to I the think, whole country as opposed to just I think it's the neutrality of it that's I think. what I mean yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean I, I was born in the northeast, lived here till I was four or five my dad got a job um, down near well between Ipswich and Cambridge so East Anglia grew up there till I was 18 and then came back up for uni and stuff and then stayed um, so I guess in that sense when when I go home to my mum and dad's, everyone says you sound northern. Yeah, and when yeah. I'm up here, everyone says I sound southern. Yeah. So I'm guessing I probably sit somewhere around about, well, somewhere though, around about Nottingham, fair. Lincolnshire, that sort of area. I think you I sound know. really smooth, just like you know. <laughs> yeah. oh, thanks, I, 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 I can, I'd buy like I can imagine like a lovely voiceover for some lovely coffee <clears> or something. <clears> what's the like, what's like the what's your, been your favourite voiceover? I think they're doing. Oh wow! Um, do you know? I'm not sure. Or what's um, the one that like stands out the most <clears> as like. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I did a, I, I did a, this was quite a while ago, going back to the voice acting thing. Um, I did this thing about a World War II seagull. Uh, sea, not seagull. A um, carrier pigeon. Right, know, right, it, yeah. um, not even World War II, is it? It's World War One, isn't it? Yeah. It shows how much I remember yeah. about these things, doesn't it? <laughs> well. um, but the beauty of it was that um, <clears throat> I had to do all of the character voices. So I had to make up, you know, there was a sergeant major and all that sort of stuff. So I had oh, to kind sweet. of, you know. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I do this sergeant major voice and all that sort of stuff and, and various things. And there was a um, a guy who was on a, a hot air balloon lookout, and um, I think I made him Yorkshire or something like that. And and then a, a, a Welsh guy who used to sing in the trenches and yeah. all this sort of stuff. So that that was really good fun. I didn't get didn't get paid for that. It was just a um, it was just a project that somebody was trying to do at the time, and uh, they were like, we're trying to get it off the ground. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that and it's on some of my voice reels actually just because it's a, really one of the only bits of voice acting that I've done but I've done um, I, I did like a a training simulator for people on oil rigs so oh, the big right. the big Saudi Aramco oil company they have a obviously before they fly people onto the rigs and stuff they have this training simulator um, and it's all virtual reality so they wear a headset and things like that so you have to do all of the commands and things you know have to oh, really? you know, things like you know kind of you know that wasn't recognised please click again and you know, all that sort of stuff so uh, I've, I've done that that was interesting um, so do you become a bit of an expert on things that you don't know about and well, you that's get, what you I was get a script say. and yeah. then all of a sudden like you know about the oil business and, and the GCSEs did you go back and learn yeah I'd I can tell you loads at the moment about um, the filtration of compressed air for food and beverage applications. 
because uh, I've been doing uh, a fair bit. I think you should yeah, probably well, just well, start, then that'll be enough. I think you should yeah, I think stop we'll, there. We'll bonus, there. Bonus yeah. content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've been doing a couple of things for, for them. In fact, that, that's it's an interesting one, that actually. I've probably done their stuff for about five years now. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes companies kind of, they're just, it's just, it's like kind of a, an internal sales video. You know, they use it for kind of, you know, to be running on the stall, you know, when they're at a um, trade fair or whatever. Mm. Um and um yeah, so they they tend to come back if if they like your voice and they think it suits the brand, then they'll come back and and use you for all of their stuff. A bit like the McDonald's guy, you know, yeah, he's, yeah, he's done the yeah. McDonald's voiceovers for Donald's Day. Oh, he'd be worth a mint, yeah. Didn't you? Did you do um, <clears throat> some NHS stuff or something once? Didn't you tell me you were doing some doctor stuff once? I did, yeah. Um, during COVID, same as all musicians, really. Um, it was. Um, squeaky bum time on, on the financial side mm. of things. Um, and I think like everybody, the first thing you do is look and think, right, what is going to be able to carry on here and what am I going to be able to do that might be remote and mm. all that sort of thing. And for me, the obvious one was the voiceover stuff. Um, I've got like a little studio at home that I do all sorts of things in. Um, but um, it was a possibility to be able to kind of do my voiceover stuff remotely. Um, so I decided I would push that a bit harder um, than than I normally would. In the past, it's always been something that's just kind of, you know, it, it, it forms a little bit of a part of my income, use it for holidays and buying guitars and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, whereas um, during COVID, it had to do some heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I kind of was quite lucky that I pushed it a little bit harder than I would have done. And I ended up with a couple of um, TV ad campaigns. Um, Ironically, for stopping drinking and stopping smoking, which I think probably uh, <laughs> you didn't learn from that one. No, probably, probably most most musicians during the period of COVID probably did the most drinking yeah. and smoking that yeah. they'd ever done in their lives because um, they were all shitting themselves, um, myself included. So um, yeah, it was it was a bit of an irony really to be doing a please stop smoking and please stop drinking advert, <laughs> but um, but I was very grateful for them because. Um, with voiceover stuff, you wherever it's going to go to, if it's um, if it's a corporate video that's for an internal thing, you'll get you'll get a little bit of a buyout on it um, on top of your studio fee. If you you know if you do something on radio, that's a little bit more because it's kind of general public stuff. And it's on, if it's on TV, it can be it can be decent. You know the buyouts can be good. So um, is it not something you want to do more then? Yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, it's fitting everything in. Um, when the when COVID kind of started to ease a bit, and you know, for for us with with the stuff that we do, that was right at the end. You know, when he allowed the large scale events, so it was pretty much eighteen months we were we were knackered. Um, <clears throat> but um, it's just it's the time that it takes up admin wise and promo wise to to keep the band going. Mm -hmm. um, I can't, I can't do both. Yeah. Um, I can do voiceover stuff if it comes in. That, mm. That's not a problem. But it's, it's the constant test reads and promo and all that sort of stuff. You know, during COVID, I was probably spending maybe three or four hours a day um, during the week um, just doing test reads and promos and stuff like that for my voiceover stuff to get to get what I wanted. Um, I wouldn't have the time available to me to be able to do that at the moment mm -hmm. with running the band as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something that 
I guess it, I've kind of tested it and yeah. it's something that I could move over towards, you know, kind of as you get out of that kind of gigging age, if you like, you know, and where you don't want to be traveling the country. Way less overheads, man. Like, the, oh, yeah. The, the yeah, money massively, so, yeah. Dave won't realize this, but like most of the gigs Chase does aren't in the Northeast. No, like I mean, forever yeah. traveling. Like, you must, yeah. you must do some fucking miles, man. Yeah, probably, I would say about 30,000 miles a year. We probably Jesus. Do. But I mean, I guess yeah. you. I'm assuming you enjoy the variety of sometimes you're in the band, sometimes you're doing voiceovers, you've got variety. It's not all, you're not doing the same thing over and over again. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, it's variety in, in a big sense of the word. I probably do maybe one voiceover a month or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah that that, would, that yeah. would take, you know, that would take like an hour or two, something oh, like that. that. Was, yeah. yeah, I thought. Uh, um, but some some months you can have several, do you know what I mean? And then you have yeah. a couple of months where you haven't. Um, but um, yeah, it's not, um, it, it's not a, a, not a massive part of, of, of what I do. The band is really the sole focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but the voiceovers are very welcome, <clears throat> obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you ever do like real acting? <clears throat> Because you're I don't, a good I don't know guy, if I'd be very obviously. good at it, you know. I don't know if I'd be very good at it. Well, I, mean, I can say you've got like yeah. I don't you're a good-looking kid, you know. Next and if you've got next James Bond, <laughs> and he could do the theme tune for it. Oh, yeah. 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 Write a theme tune, sing theme tune. I just think like it's not it's not a massive leap from doing voice acting. I suppose so. Yeah, um, I think you're more you know expo- you're more lines. exposed, aren't you, as an actor? You're more exposed. Yeah, but <clears> as like, a voiceover person, you just you just avoid stage all the time. You know what I mean? Ah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm comfortable there. Though. Yeah, if you had to pick one as a career, <clears> and, and you'd, you'd you'd pick music, wouldn't you? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, all day long. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that the Mumford thing has uh, a shelf life, or are you like praying that they're going to release another album so that you've got <laughs> four new songs to put in the set, or what? Like, because I mean, they're not like um, in terms of an act, they're not like. Uh, Van Morrison or Bruce Springsteen or somewhere that no. all that's happened and you know, it's a greatest hits thing. Mm-hmm. They're still somewhere between being current and yeah. they're not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, we were actually talking about this, um, in, in the van over the weekend, um, and trying to, um, you might, you might be able to tell from listening to the rest of the podcast. I'm quite a sort of analytical kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it's my go-to point all the time is to think and, and, and analyze stuff. Um, and I was trying to work out what the, um, what the popularity curve is for any act or artist or something mm. like that. Um, you know, obviously when they first come out, there's always a big, there's a load of interest and then it drops off a bit and then they probably release another album and everyone's dead excited for the other album. So the interest goes back up again and yeah. then it drops off. <clears throat> and the bit we were talking about was at what point, does a band enter that period of nostalgia? Mm-hmm. Um, and also they have to. Yes. What if, what if they don't? Some bands don't exactly. do that. Exactly. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's a nostalgia for a band or sometimes it's a nostalgia for a, a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and where do Month and Sons fit into that? You know, obviously, because for us, that impacts us directly. Um, I mean, at the moment, the whole emo thing emo skater thing is kind of making a bit of a nostalgic comeback. There's loads of like kind of, you know, emo nights and things like that, you know, and it's basically all the people who were in their late teens, early twenties, when that stuff was happening, who are now kind of, they've probably gone away, got married, had kids. The kids are old enough that mum and dad can rediscover themselves a little bit and they're going out for a night out. They've got disposable income because they've probably got 
they probably work their way up the ladder a bit. Um, and oh, come on, you know, we'll go and listen to some Blink 182 in Alex yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's, you're talking probably, we were work, working out anyway. It's probably roughly 20 years ish. Is, okay. is the time when people start become, to become yeah. nostalgic after 20 years. So Mumford and Sons have got another probably seven, eight, ten years to mm-hmm. go before they'd be nostalgic. In which case, there might be In which case spike. we need another album. So, yeah, you know, that that's how it is for us. Um, obviously, <clears throat> anybody who follows Mumford and Sons will know they're down to a three-piece now. They were a four, but um, the banjo player left to go and pursue other things. Um but they've done a load of festivals this summer, like headlined big festivals um, all over the world. So um, there is talk of another album. Um, but without doubt, to go back to your question, without doubt, there is a shelf life for any bands that you do of the modern era. Um, and that was why when you said about other tributes mm-hmm. earlier on, my mind immediately goes to what tributes would I do if the Mumford thing just never sort of came back or there was never yeah. another little, little lip, out. if it fizzled out, um, what would I go and do? And I would, I would do something that was rooted in sort of that sort of seventies, eighties nostalgia, something yeah. that would sell. Something that you know, isn't going to go away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly that. Um, we, obviously we know <clears throat> a friend of ours, Luke does the, uh, does the George Ezra tribute and makes plenty of money and all that sort of stuff. Uh, gets plenty of gigs, but yeah. like people, people disappear so quickly in, in the charts. Yeah, that was Dave being very unprofessional, by the way. Um, like <laughs> people disappear <laughs> really quickly and stuff. So he must be, Cheers. he must be sat thinking, I need, I need another album. Yeah, to to make a living. You know. Well, what was interesting, I think, was when um, was it that um, um, the I'm not sure what the song was called, but it's that um, the green green grass blue blue sky. That was his latest sort of single release, wasn't it? And he released a new album at the time. Yeah. And there was a really obvious correlation between George Ezra releasing that album and doing that tour that summer. And I think it really impacted. I obviously can't speak for him because he's not here, but I think um, you know from Luke's point of view that was very helpful. Yeah, of course. Um, because Luke does other things. Luke does other things as he well. He does, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, you know, and um, that that's just that's just how it is, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of yeah. it's the difference between fame and um, profile. Yeah, yeah. And that's the difference, um, and I think. And that's something generally that's, that's, it's totally another discussion, but I find it really fascinating. That whole thing between, you know, what, what is real fame? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of what we see these days with celebrities, it's not actually fame. It's, it's profile. You know, fame is, um, to quote some f- fucking Greek philosopher, um, but I'm actually quoting Ricky Gervais because that's when I heard it. Yeah. Fame is the per- perfume of heroic deeds. You know, it's not because you've been on Love Island and you had nice teeth. You know what I mean? That's not that's not something to be famous for. If you've been on Love Island and you've got nice teeth, you've just got a profile. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're Prince and you've written however many hit records and, you know, he's famous. Yeah. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter whether Prince is going to release a new album. Clearly, he's not going to release a new album. Well, this stuff still comes out, man. Um, if if he releases a new album or if he if he does whatever, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Prince doesn't need that. Prince is famous. 
Yeah. That, yeah. that is it. He doesn't need profile. He's gone beyond profile. Um, whereas I think a lot of what we call fame these days is just simply profile and it's here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, people come and go so quickly now. <clears throat> That's yeah. what I mean. Like, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think George Ezra was a three or four album person or act or whatever. Like, no. He had, he had a couple of hits, but I mean, I, I thought he'd fizzle out like but a I, lot of people do. I guess like Mumford and Sons and stuff, they've got enough of a core fan base that you can keep it going. It yeah. can, enough of a, even if they're not continuing to build and build. But speaking of fan base there, though, like, I, I don't know many people who are fans of Mumford and Sons. Like, you must mm. get more of them down south than up here. It must be a, more of a southern thing. What was really interesting um, when they did when they did the tour for the Delta album in 2019, what was really interesting was that um, that whole tour was arenas. Really? And they filled them. Mm. So there's, you know, it, it. it's really hard. This is something else we've, we've been talking about funny enough this weekend is um, it, it's really hard to place where Mumford and Sons are in that sort of pecking order of, of bands. Because, and the age group as well. Oh, uh, well. I don't know, like, what, what do you think the average age of people who come see you is? We, we would tend to get a, sort of demographic of like kind of mid thirties to mid fifties ish. But when I mean, I saw Mumford Mumford Sons twice on that Delta tour and it was filled with people from 16, 17 year old to people who were quite clearly in their seventies. They've got such broad appeal. Um, Obviously we, you know, we work with Razorlight this weekend and um, we were trying to work out, you know, kind of, where are Razorlight in relation to, you know, other bands, you know, mm-hmm. are they, are they, are they bigger than Scouting for Girls? Um, because we've, we've worked Scouting for Girls before and, I, and, and Razorlight's setup was much bigger and, and more impressive than Scouting for Girls. You know, they had the tour bus part around the back and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Scouting for Girls wasn't like that when we worked with them. Um, so does that mean Razorlight are higher up the pecking order? I mean, how much, how much a month and sons to book for a gig? I'd, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, they've just done Victorious Festival in the UK. Um, you look at the videos, there are, there's obviously thousands of people there, but loads of them are singing the songs. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's really difficult to try and place them. Yeah. Because they are this, they seem to sort of inhabit this territory where they're kind of, they're niche, but at the same time they're not mm-hmm. because they fill big venues. You know, if they were niche, they'd be doing the whatever the O2 Academy circuit is called these days, you know, they'd be doing those sorts yeah, of yeah. size of venues, City yeah. Hall, that sort of thing. They're not, you know, they're doing the arenas. So so where do they sit? It's, it's kind yeah, of a bit of an They haven't had like not that I'm aware of like big hits. No, no, no. Um probably I would say Well the first album was full of big hits, wasn't it? I mean it Yeah. Um I mean you've got uh, Little Lion Man, The Cave um, was Hopeless Wanderer off the first one? Sorry, no more. I, mean, I think it was, wasn't it? Little Lion Man are the only ones I've ever known. And then obviously the follow-up album was the one that had I Will Wait on it. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, that, know, oh, yeah. And then you've got like um, Lover of the Light, that sort of thing. They're, I think the thing with Mumford & Sons is, although they're a British band, they're massive in America. Mm. And I mean like absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if that's kind of where it comes from is that because they're so big in another country... 
it, it's kind of the opposite of, of what we see. You know, if you went over to America and started talking about some of the British bands that we consider to be mm-hmm. huge here. Or even like Robbie Williams. Yeah, they, they yeah. wouldn't have, they'd be like, oh, I'm not sure who he is yeah. or whatever, you know. Is that something you could capitalize on then? Could you go to America? and? Uh... We had a load of stuff in the pipeline um, just before COVID. We were talking to a promoter in New York um, and we were going to go over and do some stuff over there as like a little test run. Um, and unfortunately, because of the COVID thing, obviously it all, it all kind of fell apart. That. Um, and then subsequently there's been so many rules and stuff like that about getting into America and yeah. all that sort yeah. of stuff, you know, that it's only really just starting to sort itself out now that it's all just being put on the shelf really. Um, so maybe it's definitely something that I know we would, it would work, but whether or not well, it's the logistics of how to get it done. Yeah, really. yeah. And the money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And if you were to tour there, could, I mean, driving from one place to another could take 24 hours exactly. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a totally different yeah. beast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we start wrapping things up, I want to talk about um, somebody that is in your band that I don't know, but know of, and I find fascinating. How did you meet Marcus? <laughs> Marcus Mumford. You must have known this was going to come at some point. Marcus the Enigma. You know, also, Marcus is somebody that I don't know like at all, really, but yeah. I would love to have him on at some point to, talk, to get some stories off. Oh, him. you need to get Marcus on. He, yeah, must, uh, yeah. he must be fascinating. He's fascinating. By the way, tell us a bit about Marcus. Right, Just okay. Yeah. So, um, Marcus Brown is um, our keyboard player in Chasey Mumford. Um, he... Uh, if you just just google him marcus brown keyboard player um and uh it will come up um with what he's done before he's probably most well known for his work with madonna and seal um he keeps popping up on youtube and stuff you know kind really? of like yeah I'll, I'll be watching something i was watching something from uh was it uh live eight the uh hyde park nice. um, live eight gig the other day and uh, all of a sudden I was like, fucking hell, there's Marcus. That's weird. Like. <laughs> um, and um, so he, I, w- I was looking for a new keyboard player, did it through the, the usual things of Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And uh, this guy messaged me, said, hi, I'm a base in Chester Street. Um, been looking at your promo stuff, really like it. I'd be interested in the gig. Um, here's my details. Look me up and let me know. So I Googled him and I thought, what the fucking hell is a guy with a CV like yeah, that man. doing wanting to be in my band? Um, but anyway, we, we met up and, um, you know, we had a chat and stuff and um, just a really amiable, lovely, down to earth guy. Yeah. Um, obviously got in the rehearsal room with him and stuff and it was very obvious very quickly that, you know, as a player, and in terms of the way he knows his way is around his kit as yeah. well. Um, I mean, it's when, when we do, when we do sound, uh, when I, when I do sound for the band, when we're self-contained, um, his, his keyboards channels have, they have nothing on them. There's no EQ. Really? There's, there's nothing. Mm. I literally just turn him up and down. I gain, gain the channel and, and turn him up and down. That's all I need to do. Yeah. His sounds are just absolutely phenomenal. They're perfect. Yeah. Um, and as a producer as well, I've done a bit of work with him in the studio and things like that. He's he's got the whole golden ears thing going on. He's he, honestly he just as a as a music practitioner, he's yeah. just he's astonishing. Is he a great player? He must be a great player as well. Then yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and um, 
it, it you know, it's great to have him on board. Um, obviously, you know, kind of, he has his own reasons as to why he he didn't, why he doesn't work at that level anymore. Um, and he came home to Chester Street. Um, not exactly sure what the timeline is. If you get him on, you'll have to ask him. Um, I mean, he, I, I just find, I, I find him fascinating anyway. The stories yeah. I've heard from you and from, um, I know he knows Johnny Boyle quite well. And yeah, I, I yeah. Him so and Johnny thing, best mates, I think, yeah. The, thing I've, uh, the things I've heard about him, I just think, fuck me, I'd love to sit and actually have a conversation. He's got some tales. What have you found I've there? got his credits here, like, it's insane. Uh, Tina Turner, Seal, Lisa oh. Left Eye Lopez, Rob Thomas. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I spotted uh, Jimmy Neal there. He's done... Yeah. He did pretty much everything on Crocodile Shoes from what I can tell here. Really? Accordion, yeah. piano, or well, it's all, it's all keys based. Percussion, drums, background vocals, string arrangements on Crocodile Shoes. Yeah. If you look up... Um, if you look up um, the Top of the Pops episode that's got um, Crocodile Shoes on with, with Jimmy Nail, uh, Marcus is the guy playing the accordion. Oh, really? In the cowboy really? boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His credits yeah. are insane here. Yeah. Is he still like... Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about him because I really want to get him on, but now he's, you know. And it's the, it's the Chase's podcast. I know. Do you, you, you must get some stuff. Like, does he still have any contacts with, like, with those sorts of people? Um, Are you going to get Seal and Chase and yeah. <laughs> Is this, is this, <laughs> we've got you on so we can get Marcus on, and yeah. then we'll get Marcus on so we can get Seal on? Yeah. That's basically, we're just using you. I've changed change the name of the band to Sealing Mumford. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, He's he's definitely he definitely still is in touch with people he worked with on the Jimmy Now stuff because mm. um, I know he's I think uh, him and Tony McAnally, the guitar player have got um, a bit of a sort of production company going on. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, d- I mean yeah, he's 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 just he's just fascinating. Um, Did you ever find it like uh, a little bit intimidating? Oh, massively. Yeah. As a, as a yeah. musician, and as, it, obviously you're his boss. I know that sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But. It, it was the first question I asked him. When I first sat down with him, I said to him, look, I'm, I'm going to level with you. Um, why on earth are you interested in, in joining this? Um, and um, he said, you know, he said, I've listened to your stuff. I've watched your promo. He said, the size of the gigs that you're doing interests me. Because um, he said, I don't really want to be doing kind of, you know, with what he'd been used to doing before. He wanted to try and find like a bit of a halfway house yeah, yeah. Um, between kind of, you know, sort of, just kind of playing music for fun, but but then you know, kind of still getting the kick of some bigger gigs and yeah. things like that as well. Which we're we're lucky we're able to we that we that we do. So um, yeah, and I think you know the traveling thing as well. I think it's not for everybody. In fact, it's not for most people. But I think the traveling element of it, you know, we we do it nicely. We do it. You know, I've got like a decent van to do it in. You know, that's kitted out so that we're comfortable when we're when we're traveling. Yeah. Um, so it, I think all of that sort of appealed to him a little bit as like a kind of little mini version of, of what he'd been doing before. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, there's challenges, there's always challenges with people. Um, when you, when you've got a band, especially with our setup, we've got six people if you include the tech. So that's a big enough number of people that it can divide off into little cliques and little groups and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, and obviously everybody has a different opinion on on how things should happen and how things should run and what you should be allowed to do and what you shouldn't and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, but we managed to make it work and, and you know, he's just, he's just a, he's an integral part of what we do and he's yeah. a pleasure to have around. Do you find it hard being the boss? Yeah. Really difficult. Yeah. 
because um, there's always that time when like you're not going to tell somebody off but you've got to like yeah you've got to be in boss mode as opposed to like yeah yeah and to trend. be honest I the way I the way my way of dealing with that with the lads is is to say to them right I'm I'm going to put my boss hat on at this point yeah yeah um, so they know that I'm going to have to say something difficult or or, or uh, does that happen often complain um, not really to be fair um, but when it does it can sometimes be awkward but I guess you know as long as everybody realises ultimately it's a bit like when we play football on a Monday you know you can scream and shout at each other on the football pitch and you're in that mode but then once you're in the pub you don't talk about it you know it's just forgotten it's it's left on the pitch yeah. well yeah apart from if you're, <laughs> apart from if you're Davey Hawkins yeah. he's not listening <laughs> to this Davey, yeah, yeah sorry he's, he's, he's not, not listening to this, this. Just cut <laughs> um, speaking so, of football man like <clears throat> Chase is a you're a great goalkeeper like, I love, I've, I've seen football, it I've seen football with, uh, yeah. with Chase every Monday night um, I love I love your reason for playing football which I haven't I had never really thought of until I started doing it what's that look for? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. It's the reason Chase loves playing football. And it's not I guess, just for the enjoyment. No? Well, it is that, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. the main thing is that all the lads we play football with, without being insulting, know fuck all about music. They know, yeah. nothing, oh, about, right. they yeah, know yeah. nothing about what we do. They know nothing about the life of being a musician in the late nights and all that. Pretty much all of them are nine to five-ish type. Well, not well, yeah, like normal, yeah. what we would call mm. normal jobs. Yeah. And uh, for us, it's... It, it, it's just great getting on a football pitch with like 15 other lads who just don't give a shit about what you do for a living it's great and we've made Chase come around here on a Monday morning and talk about music yeah and also not only has Chase invited me to play football with him I've started inviting loads of other musicians like Russ and Steve Vine and you <laughs> so I'm, we're slowly taking over so it's really going to become like a footballer a uh, musician's football Chase is going to form a breakaway league <laughs> yeah. you're not in it yeah. yeah too many musicians I do love the release of uh, like what we'll be playing tonight. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. On a, it's different. It's it's the same for me and you, but for, for me especially on a Sunday, on a Sunday night, it's my last gig. I've done seven or eight gigs this week. Sunday night, I'm done. Yeah, Monday's my day off, and then Monday night, you're just running around in the outside. It's just absolutely, it just heals you. Like it's it's yeah, so yeah. good. Totally. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely that. It's just that that feeling of you know kind of. I don't have to be in work mode. I don't have to, you know, kind of, it, it's just something that's totally and utterly different and totally removed yeah. from it. I don't have to think about it. Mm. Um, you know, I don't have to worry about whether or not my phone's ringing or whatever else, you know, it's like, I'm just, I'm just yeah. there and it's, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Well, look, man, I think uh, we've taken up enough of your time. I had one more question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. How did the name Chase come about? Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. for anyone listening, by the way, <clears throat> Chase is actually called Gareth. <laughs> so what the fuck he's man? been trying to keep that hidden man so is it this Chase is like kind of like once removed from sort of various nickname progression um, so when I was when I was at school I had this nickname um, which was Goose Top Gun aye and it was because we had this German exchange student who came over and um, somebody introduced me as oh, this is Gareth and uh, he, he wanted goose, goose, goose. How you say oh, goose, okay. goose? And they were like, oh, goose. I was like, oh, we'll just call him goose. Just call him goose. <laughs> so this this lad Bjorn, he he used to just call me goose, and it caught on. So everyone was calling me goose. Um, and uh, then when uh, 
when I was in in a band uh, called the Stone Idols um, with a guy called Chris Millett, dude, don't know if you know I'm him, the bass this, player. Yeah. Um, so I was back in the early days that my first jobs were with him um, and um, I was in this band with him and he said, oh, you know, we should get some dab stage names or whatever. Um, and I thought about this goose thing and ah, it's a bit daft, not very rock and roll. So uh, kind of had a little look around and uh, there was this um, this girl porn star called Chase Lane or something like that. Oh, uh, Bloodhound Gang did a song about that. Uh, yeah. Chasey Lane or something. And I thought, ah, oh, I might uh, might go for, might go for that, you know, kind of because that whole sort of you know um, that whole kind of eighties rock star vibe of like having like a girl's name but for a, yeah. a bloke and all that. And yeah. So it was just a total skit to be honest, um, and it was close enough to Goose that it sort of you know seemed about the same. So but now everyone um, calls you Chase. Now everyone calls me Chase. Yeah. <laughs> And that's because of social media. Because yeah. uh, in football teams and stuff like that, people would say, "Oh, can, can we add you to the? Can we add you to the group?" You know. But you'd be on Facebook as like, I was on Facebook as Chase Rocks. So like, oh, I've got a stupid name for whatever yeah. else. But then obviously they end up calling you it. So, so yeah, just one of them. Do you prefer being called Chase than Gareth? Um, I think I do because I've got so used to people calling yeah. me it. Now it feels weird. Yeah. It feels like I'm in trouble. Michael. Nobody calls it. Jack from the band calls me Michael when I'm in trouble. Yeah. When he's shouting at us. Yeah, yeah. But like nobody calls it. I hate it. I hate being called Michael. Uh I know, I've had to get used to calling you Rolfie. Everyone just calls us Rolfie. Which is not a it's not a better name. <laughs> it's just what I get, yeah. But it is you though, it suits you. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, I suit I Michael. I don't suit Michael. Or, and I also hate I hate Mick and Mickey and Mikey and all that <laughs> fucking oh god yeah they bought me piss and speaking yeah. of piss uh, yeah I think we've taken up enough of your time <laughs> so uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and thanks for coming down yeah, man, thank thanks you. for that it's been a pleasure thank you very Great much fun. yeah hope I haven't waffled on too much oh far too much <laughs> <laughs>